So Brian Windhorst, we've established on this podcast before, and thank you for joining us, by the way, um, that you are a guy who's beat in the NBA as someone who is as plugged in as anybody is fundamentally power, right? I mean, of course. I mean, I am a, an absolute expert in power, Pablo. Thank you for uh, recognizing that. But I say that seriously, Brian, because the story of Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, is something that is not just being processed by the public right now. It is also being processed secretly, and you could argue even more crucially, by the powerful, right? By executives in back rooms all around the NBA. And so I'm just curious how you heard the news of Robert Sarver's suspension by the league. Yeah, so um, there was a little bit of a, an, an orchestration last week on Wednesday. Donovan Mitchell gave his press conference in Cleveland. I kind of had a feeling I was going to get moved. I, like I said, I thought it was New York. I'm not going to lie to you. Once I found out, I got traded, and what we came, what we're going into, like that trumped everything for me. You know, I'm like- the NBA uh, respectfully waited for that press conference to end, and then uh, Adam Silver began his press conference, and so Donovan did his public press conference for the media, and then he came down into uh, a suite, and I had my sit-down interview with uh, Donovan Mitchell. Did Cleveland Cavalier ever go across your mind? At first, um, you know, I tried to block out as much as I could. And when it was over, I picked up my, my phone, which had been on silent, and I had all these text messages. Text messages from general managers, text messages from agents, text messages from other reporters about Adam Silver's press conference that had just ended, which I hadn't seen or read yet. Basically, they were like, uh, this is not going well. Let me reiterate, um, the conduct is indefensible, um, but I feel we dealt with it in a fair manner. I think there are a lot of people around the league today who think that Robert Sarver is very fortunate to only have a one-year suspension. I don't have the right to take away his team, but to me, the consequences are severe here. The phrase, this is a slap on the wrist, uh, was cited to me multiple times. LeBron James also took to Twitter to express his frustration with the ruling. Read through the Sarver stories a few times now. I gotta be honest, our league definitely got this wrong. I cannot express to you how mad and disappointed people are at the spineless nature of the NBA's decision. You just heard Brian allude to what happened last week when the NBA suspended Suns owner Robert Sarver for one year. And around the league and inside the team itself, players and stakeholders immediately stepped forward to demand a lot more. Suns star Chris Paul, he wrote, quote, I am of the view that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. Minority owner Jam Najafi calling for Sarver to resign. In the league's own investigation into Sarver, a litany of current and former Suns employees had alleged instances of misconduct and mistreatment. Sarver said the N-word at least five times in repeating what a black person said. Made an illicit comment about his genitalia to a female employee. He told a pregnant employee, you need to be home breastfeeding your kid. He also asked a female employee, did you get an upgrade this summer? A comment the employee took to believe was in reference to her breasts. And sparking a controversy that, to many, brought to mind the name Donald Sterling. Adam Silver banned the Clippers owner from the NBA for life for making racist comments that were caught on tape.
we're in a time right now where there's a reckoning on power, uh, specifically power controlled by people like Robert Sarver. The NBA owners, I think, probably would prefer to not have Robert Sarver be a member. But the NBA owners don't want to lower the possible standard of what it takes to remove an owner from a team. And that is kind of where the rubber meets the road in what we're watching unfold with this Sarver drama. So today, Ryan Winhorst tells us what taking a team away from an owner actually requires as players quietly consider how much they want to fight Adam Silver's decision. And other billionaire owners are feeling an emotion, fear, that hints at the gap between a sport's public image and its hidden truths. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, September 20th, and this is ESPN Daily. So, Brian, the reason we're here stems back to the work of our colleague Baxter Holmes. And I want to say his name right up top here because he interviewed more than 70 of Robert Sarver's current and former employees in a massive story for ESPN that came out last fall. And his reporting... It revealed multiple instances of Sarver using racially insensitive language and making lewd and misogynistic comments and fostering an environment where employees felt like they were his property and overseeing a deeply dysfunctional HR department, all of which we covered with Baxter on this podcast. But just to go back to that time, how would you describe what happened right after Baxter's story broke? Right. So the story came out the first week of November of last year. Baxter Holmes spent a long time reporting it. I was in Phoenix when the story came out. And I just want to take you back to what Robert Sarver said that day. I am wholly shocked by some of the allegations purported by ESPN about me personally or about the Phoenix Suns organization. And he went on to say, I can certainly tell you that some of the claims I find completely repugnant to my nature and the character of the Sun's Mercury workplace. And I can tell you that they never, ever happened. And then the team president and CEO got very personal about Baxter. He said, uh, I will say that this reporter has shown a reckless disregard for the truth. He has harassed employees, former employees and family members use truths, half-truths, and rumors to manufacture a story in which he's heavily invested and then perpetuate a completely false narrative within the sports industry to back it up. His tactics throughout this process have been without any basis in journalism, ethics, or even morality. Yeah, Sarver also said when the story came out that he would welcome an impartial NBA investigation, which got announced that same day, and which did ultimately confirm, we now know, among other things, like five instances of Sarver using the N-word when recounting the statements of others, various instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, from sex-related comments to inappropriate comments about how they looked, and all of that, Brian, that is what resulted in last week's year-long suspension and $10 million fine. And so, what does Robert Sarver say now in the wake of all of that? So then uh, Robert Starver's lawyers uh, put a statement out after the report verified the large majority of what Baxter reported and also uncovered more uh, examples of documented and verified instances uh, of the type of stuff that Baxter was reporting. 
his lawyer said, the NBA's independent investigation confirmed that none of Mr. Sarver's actions or comments were based on racist, prejudiced, misogynistic intent. And then it went on to say, the league also confirmed that there was no evidence whatsoever to support several of the accusations in ESPN's reporting from November of 2021. My point here is that he was full fight when the story came out. Correct. And even though this report has backed up not only uh, a, a huge majority of what Baxter reported, but also uncovered other things, there is not any or very, very little remorse. And he's still very much in a fighting stance. And I think that's important to understand going forward, that he is, in fact, not actually accepting, no matter what other sort of flowery statements might be, he's not actually accepting what this uh, situation really is. It may look like the NBA's primary goal here is to, you know, find out what really happened and to make the Phoenix Suns uh, a better organization. And that definitely is something that is a sub uh, goal. But one of the big goals here is to keep the bar very high Mm. for the standard at which an owner can be uh, stripped of his team. And over the last um, handful of years, Adam Silver has led an attempt for everyone to stop calling owners of the NBA teams owners. He and others much prefer the term governor. Um, And it's because that that the term owner has uh, certain connotations, especially in the league that is overwhelmingly owned by white men and women and uh, predominantly played by, by black men. And so I understand that, but I have never stopped calling them owners because that is exactly what they are. Right, right, same, admittedly, yes, Yes. same. And so um, that has been laid bare by the way this has played out. And that is that, um, you know, one of the reasons why Adam Silver's press conference came off so poorly um, isn't because Adam Silver was being, um, you know, making this, you know, I I don't think he presented it in the best way, but Adam Silver was, was forced um, to hold a difficult hand there, Pablo, because mm-hmm. he had to come out in front of the world media and explain that he's really limited as what he can do about his bosses. Right, right. Because at the end of the day, he works for those men and several women who are the NBA owners. I would say throughout human history, in my limited study of uh, history, <laughs> um, that whenever you have a group that is expected to police itself, that the standards of that group in holding itself accountable will quite often be less than society may see. And that has been shown to be true here. And that is why we have a pushback. In these types of moments, we hear that, well, actually NBA teams are community assets that there's something that is actually sort of shared by the whole community. Yes, this is a civic, a civic institution, let alone, enter- let alone an entertainment property. Right, and so therefore the person who is the owner of it actually is more of a steward. And with all due respect, Pablo, it just ain't so. No, it's, <laughs> they're not community assets. When the owners want public support, especially for constructing or renovating um the arenas. Right. Public money, taxes. Yes. Right. They're community assets. But when it comes to who actually gets to make the decisions and have control and over the power, they are not. And they will never be. 
Well, I have to admit to you, Pablo, that when the NBA released the report and made it available for anybody to read, I was impressed because I was wondering here if this is going to be one of those verbal reports, which has happened, frankly, before in the NBA with investigations and has happened, I believe, in the NFL, where the reason it's a verbal report is because so that there's no mm-hmm. um, piece of paper that can be uh, subpoenaed <laughs> um, or uh, you know put into discovery evidence. But then when Adam Silver actually spoke about the report, he made it clear that that actually wasn't what happened. He said, well, there are things, he said several times, there are things that I know that I just can't tell you. What, what I have access to is a bit different than the public because while we issued this report um, in the process of doing the investigation, the outside counsel um, who, who conducted this review committed to confidentiality um, to anyone who wanted it was the vast majority of those who were interviewed. Plus, they looked at cell phones, you know, something like 80,000 documents. And so I have access to information that the public doesn't. The idea that here is this investigative report that's seemingly deeply detailed, and yet in his presser, Adam Silver is referring to things that should, I guess, convince us to trust him that this decision to not oust Robert Sarver is the right one, even though we can't actually know or see on paper what they are. Exactly. He's openly saying that I'm not actually really telling you what's, what happened. Uh, you'll just have to trust me. And again, we get back into what's the real real. The real real is that, you know, this is still something that's being handled in a way that not everybody can see. And the reason that is is because the folks who own the league want it that way. But what we do know on paper and what seemingly did not clear the bar for ouster, Brian, just for the record here, right, is per the report, the fact that Robert Sarver said the N-word at least five times in repeating or purporting to repeat what a black person said, four of those after being told by both black and white subordinates that he should not do this, even repetition, It included language and conduct that demean female employees, including pregnant employees, berating female employees, and then commenting about how women cry too much, off-color jokes about sex, about anatomy, inappropriate comments about physical appearances. Over 50 current and former employees reported that Sarver frequently engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including yelling and cursing, that on occasion constituted bullying. That is what the report said, let alone what Baxter also found. And none of that cleared the bar. Right. And I think while it does sort of establish that Robert Sarver can be a jerk, I think there's a a motive by the NBA to make it to the point where being a jerk doesn't mean that you lose your team. Mm. Being a racist, in the case of Donald Sterling, cost him being banned for life. And that bar has been established. If you can be proven to be a racist, then, you know, there's no place in the league for you. Um, Which is why it's relevant that the report makes clear, I believe in at least three instances, to say that we're not calling Robert Sarver a racist because that's where the bar exists now. I don't think that the owners want the bar to be lowered to being a jerk. And that question, Brian, the question that gets brought up a lot in American society these days, of what constitutes a racist, what constitutes racial animus, as the NBA has called it. 
I mean, to me, in my eyes, at least, and I think to many, the biggest practical difference here is that we just don't have a tape. I mean, we got a tape with Donald Sterling, the former owner of the Clippers, who was infamously voice recorded by his mistress talking about his personal disdain for black people. People call you and tell you that I have black people on my Instagram and it bothers you. Yeah, it bothers me a lot that you want to broadcast that you're associating with black people. But with Sarver, we have all of this testimony from witnesses, but we don't have actual recordings to play on the news or go viral. So um, a lot of folks, um, when they saw the way this played out, uh, naturally drifted to thinking about what happened with Donald Sterling Mm -hmm. um, about eight years ago, um, where he was uh, caught uh, on tape saying uh, some terrible things, some racist comments. Why should you be walking publicly with black people? Why? Is there a benefit to you? Does it matter if they're white or blue or yellow? It does matter, yeah. It matters. And was summarily banned from the league by Adam Silver for life. There's a couple of things here that I should point out. One, the NBA and the owners did not force Donald Sterling to sell. Um, There is a process that exists to force uh, an NBA owner to sell. Um, You would need a three-fourths majority of owners basically to vote him or her out of the club. But um, a vote was not taken for Donald Sterling. So he was banned for life. And so he he could have, in theory, continued to own the team, but not been allowed to have any connection with the team and not been allowed to show up anywhere um, until right, he passed right, away. Right. Banning is different from being forced to sell. That is a That's big true. distinction that Adam Silver has made. That's true. His wife, Shelly, uh, went through a court proceeding to have him, I believe, declared not mentally capable of uh, making his own decisions. She won that court process, and then she sold the team essentially out from under him. And just to be extra clear here then, our collective memory about how Adam Silver kicked Donald Sterling out of the league, which is a popular conception, kicked him out of the league after three decades. What you're saying here is that that didn't actually happen, not not literally in that way. Yeah, he didn't take the team away from him. He just made sure he would never be seen again. You know, you hate to try to go into this sh- these shades of gray, but like there is a difference between the scoundrel that Donald Sterling is and the jerk that Robert Sarver is. And it's the difference between the two of them that we're trying to reconcile with and that the NBA is trying to reconcile with. In the case of Donald Sterling, it was without question worth it to put financial and reputations on the line to get rid of him. In the case of Sarver, it is for some people and it isn't for others. And after the break, Brian, I want to understand why the recent departure of a different NBA owner not named Donald Sterling is key to understanding where this entire story could go next. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. 
One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Brian, you were just telling me about the various governors slash owners in the NBA and how they're essentially trying to figure out where on the spectrum of wrongdoing Robert Sarver sits and where they would sit in relation to him. And so I'm just wondering what other data points we have here. Like, what is the best point of comparison here, if not Donald Sterling? I don't think that that's the fair comparison to the situation. There's another situation that happened in between Sterling and now that I think that, you know, many NBA fans, unless they're Atlanta Hawks fans, may not remember. And that was Bruce Levinson, who was the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, who shortly after the Sterling situation took place, it um, came to light that he sent a racially insensitive email. He uh, announced that he, in the wake of that, was going to voluntarily sell the team. You know, about a year or so later, maybe uh, less than a year or so later, but months later, he did sell the team. Anthony Ressler, who owns them now. Mm. Um, Levinson was a guy who had a much better reputation than Donald Sterling or Robert Sarver, was genuinely well-respected. There were some issues with that ownership group and infighting, and they were in court fighting amongst themselves. And in fact, the infighting within the ownership group is ultimately what caused them to come down and some things to come to light. But Bruce Levinson uh, looked at the lay of the land and said it would be better for myself and the Atlanta Hawks if I sold the team. In that case, he was treating it as a community asset. And he was not asked to sell the team by David Stern or Adam Silver. In fact, several other owners, or at least one other owner, there could have been more, but I know at least one other owner tried to talk Bruce out of it. And why is that? I don't know exactly why, Pablo, but I can guess that... Um, again, you don't want to lower the bar to a poorly constructed or uh, an email coming out, and all of a sudden that becomes the bar for you to have to sell your team. And that email, for the record, from Bruce Levinson to Danny Ferry, a basketball executive with the team at the time, was about how he was concerned that there were too many black fans and too few white ones, that there were too many black cheerleaders and white fans may have been scared away by all of the black people, essentially, in the building watching the Hawks. Yes, he was talking about some of the functions in their game night operations and how it may not appeal to wealthier white fans in Atlanta. Yes. Um, when he made his statement announcing he was going to sell the team, he said, he, he, he quote, I trivialized our fans by making cliched assumptions about their interests and stereotyping their perceptions of one another. By focusing on race, I sent an unintentional and hurtful message that our white fans are more valuable than our black fans. And the reason I think I want to bring this up is that uh, at the press conference, um, uh, Adam Silver was asked, have you discussed with Robert Sarver about voluntarily selling the team? Because, like with Levinson, that would probably be the best case scenario for the NBA, for Robert Sarver to look at it as a community asset and to realize the best for the NBA and his partners and the Phoenix Suns uh, would be for him to sell, would be to voluntarily uh, take himself out, put the team on the market. 
Yeah, pull the parachute cord yourself. Don't have the standard for ouster even involved in the dynamic around power here. Right. And Adam Silver quickly and unequivocally said, no, he had not. Were there any discussions with Robert Sarver during this process about voluntarily selling the Suns? No. I, uh, Robert Sarver and I spoke several times along the way, and I, we allowed, I allowed the investigation to unfold. We didn't prejudge it. I found that dubious because I think that that is the answer here. But Adam Silver is now on the record as saying he did not. So I will mm. go with what Adam Silver said on the record. But that should be the NBA's play here. The NBA's play should be to try to talk Robert Sarver into exiting stage left at a huge profit. He owns about a third of the team. The team's value, uh, I believe, is over $2 billion now in a straight auction. They could probably fetch maybe even $2.5 billion. Uh, he bought the team in 2004 for around $400 million. Um, he could make a massive profit and help his partners out. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any offing. And if you believe what Adam Silver said publicly, it doesn't seem to be something that the NBA is pushing for. And the idea of what the NBA does push for in the marketing sense now, how it brands itself, how it sells itself to the public, that does feel important to bring into this discussion too. Right? Because you have covered this league forever, Brian, and all of this also seems to be a case study in the difference between what powerful people around the league value publicly and what they actually do privately. It is upsetting, to be honest with you, on a personal level, Pablo, that this is another incident of an NBA owner uh, in a league that really tries to be the forerunner of um, thinking and progressive values. That's been the brand, right? We are the NBA, and we have a commitment to racial justice. Yeah, it's hurtful. It's hurtful um, not only, I'm sure, to um, the, uh, the African-American players and you know, team employees and fans, but it's also hurtful to everybody in the league who works to, to try to continue that progress. But yes, Donald Sterling uh, comes up here, and um, in the case of Donald Sterling, um, the backlash was so overwhelming. You know, the L.A. Clippers came to the precipice of boycotting a playoff game. They didn't. Mm -hmm. Sponsors threatened to or did uh, pull money. So in addition to the hurtful comments just really setting back people, you know, working together in the NBA, there was a financial ramification that was on the horizon. You know, I think Adam Silver would like to have everybody believe that the financial ramification took a back seat to folks like LeBron James calling for Donald Sterling to be, be out of the league. But it wouldn't be complete to, to, to say that the financial ramifications um, didn't have uh, a factor in the league's in quick moving to ban Sterling for life. Also, he had been disliked and, and um, known to be a problematic uh, person for a long time. Well, that much, Brian, I do, as someone who, who is plugged in to these rooms where these owners have these reputations behind the scenes, how do you compare and contrast in broad strokes the popularity within the league of a Donald Sterling versus a Robert Sarver in terms of their reputation to their colleagues? Robert Sarver's reputation was very poor before this happened. Uh, he was the guy who, when I would talk to other owners, 
they would complain about and mock. Um, he was long regarded as um, someone who would not spend what it would take. And, you know, just because an owner is very well-liked doesn't mean that they're a great person. But um, no, I, d- no. I do think um, if two years ago we had taken a blind poll amongst owners who potentially could have a scandal, uh, my guess is that Sarver would have received votes. And so I do want to be a realist about NBA governance here too, Brian, because it does seem like the NBA is betting fundamentally on on the long game that the anti-Sarver backlash that we're seeing is short-term and that our attention is going to pretty quickly turn elsewhere because that is what our attention spans always do. But what jumps out at me even more like glaringly is the fracturing of a special alliance. And I say that because Adam Silver, more than anything else, I would argue, has been uniquely successful at maintaining these alliances with the most important players in the league, something that no other major commissioner can really claim. And it's something that, you know, may seem progressive, but really feels just politically savvy above all else. For sure. And especially not just LeBron James, but also Chris Paul. Chris Paul, Adam Silver and Chris Paul essentially worked hand-in-hand, hand-in-hand over Zoom, as it were, to put the NBA back together during the pandemic. Then they kept it together when um, the incidents of George Floyd's death and then the incidents of the the shooting in the Milwaukee area um, led boycotts during the bubble. Um, It was working together with players like LeBron and Chris Paul to get through that. And so now we have a situation where Chris Paul is actually on the team, like he was with Donald Sterling. Right. And, you know, the early part of Adam Silver's tenure and, you know, the basis of some of his, you know, power base with players, the support with his support base with players was the way he acted swiftly and firmly with Donald Sterling. Um, I would argue that that decision wasn't that difficult, Mm -hmm. that with the evidence that existed— and that the owners did believe in that case that the high bar had been achieved. I don't think that there were owners, you know, had there been a vote, I believe Donald Sterling would have been voted out if they had to do that. Well, Brian, right now we're seeing exactly that, a reputation getting tested by a more complicated scenario. And so when Chris Paul is saying, he's tweeting out here, like many others, I reviewed the report. I was and am horrified and disappointed by what I read. This conduct, especially towards women, is unacceptable and must never be repeated. I am of the view that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. My heart goes out to all people that were affected. What does that signal to you about the state of the NBA union, as it were? Yeah, so I think... This is a bit unpredictable what will happen here. Um, so LeBron went so far as to call for uh, Sarver to essentially be banned for life like uh, Sterling was. Le- yes. LeBron used the exact same words, there is no place in our league for Robert Sarver. He said the same thing about Donald Sterling. Our league definitely got this wrong, is what LeBron tweeted. I don't need to explain why. Read the stories and decide for yourself. There is no place in this league for that kind of behavior. Yes. Right. And back when LeBron called for that against Donald Sterling, that was a momentum. It was a, it was a multiplier. It, it freed more players to speak out, uh, you know, more aggressively. And Adam Silver may have gotten to the exact same place anyway, but LeBron's speaking out back in 2014 was a, was a driving force in, in that situation. Chris Paul didn't quite go as far. He was highly critical. 
And what the frustration I think is here is the what is believed to be a light penalty. $10 million is certainly a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things for um, someone whose assets, you know, genuinely, you know, go into the billions, it is not uh, a crippling uh, blow. And a one-year suspension, while I'm sure, I mean, Adam Silver tried to sell that reputationally this will hurt Robert Sarver, uh, the, the belief is that a one-year suspension is not strong enough. I find what's now going to happen to be a little bit unpredictable, Pablo. There's a couple of things at play here. One is that we are in the period where there are no games and there is no media availability. The players certainly have the, have the ability to speak on social media or if they want to talk to media outlets, they can. But uh, the league is not in session right now. The second thing is that right now, the NBA players and the owners are negotiating a new uh, labor agreement between themselves. There's a deadline in December that if they don't hit a new deal by that deadline, the current CBA will expire and uh, it will, you know, head for a, you know, a, a negotiation period next summer. So the goal for the two sides is to get a deal done by December. And so they have been talking throughout the summer. And the reason that that's relevant here is that, you know, any sort of player action that potentially would go here, any sort of threat of trying to send a message through a boycott mm. would affect those negotiations. You know, you hate to try to put a value judgment on it like that, you know. Um, but this is the political calculation that is clearly, yeah, going to have to be made. Right. And I don't, I can't predict how that's going to happen. Now, the players union has also called for uh, Robert Sarver to be banned for life, the same penalty that Donald Sterling received, not to be forced to sell, but to be banned for life. No, the director of the Players Union went on NBA Today and told Malika Andrews this in no uncertain terms, that they want him banned for life. It is our players' desire that while we understand that there has been a thorough investigation and we're very pleased that the NBA was able to follow through on that because that's clearly something that we want to see happen, we also want to make it very clear that we do not want him back in a position where he will be impacting our players and those who serve our players on a daily basis. Tamika Tremaglio, who's um, said it twice just to make sure there was no... There was no ambiguity. We do not want him to be in a position where he is managing or engaging with individuals who are engaging with our players or our players themselves. To this point, there hasn't been a big sponsor move yet. The only sponsor that has publicly come out and made a statement is PayPal, who uh, is the Jersey sponsor of the Suns. And their statement was, if Robert Sarver remains the owner, we won't uh, re-up our deal in a year. Now, that is a statement and it is a threat, but saying, if Robert Sarver doesn't sell, we're not going to give you any more money in a year, maybe, is not exactly the type of financial ramification that I think would make the NBA reconsider this. Mm. But just because it hasn't happened yet with the sponsors doesn't mean it won't. I think that it would not only take a pretty strong player backlash, at least in the terms of threatening a boycott, uh, in addition to a sponsor backlash to really force action here. So coming up, the other call that is coming from inside the house, from inside the Suns ownership group itself, and whether the NBA's decision might change. 
Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Brian, do you think the league has been surprised by all of this, the degree to which this suspension has been unpopular? Unpopular with LeBron, with Chris Paul, with Phoenix Suns employees, current and former. Do you think they're surprised by this reaction at all? I don't think that they maybe thought that LeBron would use the same words as he did with Donald Sterling. Mm. But I I have to believe that the league knew that they would think $10 million in a one-year suspension would probably not satisfy a lot of people who will read this report and be offended. And when Adam Silver termed it, the owners of a team aren't held to the same standards as the employees of a team— that landed very poorly, Pablo. The rights that come with, with, with owning an NBA team, um, you know, how that's set up within our Constitution, um, what it would take to remove that team, you know, from his control is a very involved process. And it's different than holding a job. It just is when, when, when you actually um, own a, a team. It's, a, it's, it's just a very different proposition. Yeah, which felt like saying the quiet part out loud in a way that was like truly illuminating about the pragmatism of the commissioner actually being maybe his core principle. That's reality. That's true. Right, right, you right, know? right. That's his job. That's his job. And that's also the reality of, of, of much of the United States of America. If you own something, you are held to a different standard than if you are a subordinate. That's just, that's the real world. And people don't like it. And Adam Silver saying it was very coarse. And he tried to walk back some of it uh, afterwards, but... Too late. Exactly, exactly. That that clarity, which is rare um, and blunt, and also, to your point, like self-evident, arguably, given how corporate anything works... um, Yeah, that, that, that seemed both revealing and obvious simultaneously somehow. And then you had the minority owner of the Suns, John Najafi, 
saying that in good judgment, he cannot sit back and allow our children and future generations of fans to think this behavior is tolerated because of wealth and privilege. And he is calling for Robert Sarver, the majority owner of the team, to resign. What does that do to the fear that he referenced before among majority owners, I suppose, that, wait a minute, this is, this is all also a looming threat potentially to people like me? It's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing because certainly, you know, as part of uh, Najafi's statement, he says he doesn't want to actually own the team. But number one, not everybody believes that. Um, Mm. Number two, uh, I certainly can't speak to um, the agreements between controlling owners and their limited partners through all 30 teams. But the standard for these situations is that the minority owners really have no power. (laughs) Um, And that uh, no matter what they say or what they do, basically they exist as a, as a non-voting shareholder. Najafi, other than uh, applying public pressure, which is what he's trying to do, he has very little influence. And so Robert Sarver, the owner, who remains the owner, who will be away from the team for a year and then will come back, $10 million poorer, but in general, still the biggest shareholder in a multi-billion dollar company, Brian. If... LeBron James, if Chris Paul, if the people who are resisting, calling for reconsideration of the NBA's verdict are to get what they want, what does it take? Is that even on the table as you see it? I don't think, based on what we know, that there will be a vote amongst owners to remove him from the league. I think the only thing that could happen is for circumstances to change to the point where he would reconsider voluntarily selling. And that could be an action by players. That could be an action by sponsors. That could be a change of the penalty if he is indeed banned for life. That could change his desire to own the team. Although, you know, he has children, and I I think his oldest son has actually done some work in the front office before. He may, even then, he may say, well, I'm banned, but I want my sons to be able to run this team. I'm still not selling. And this is an extremely unfair situation for the players to be put in. Yes. But if the players said, we are not going to play for the Phoenix Suns until Robert Sarver sells the team, do I think that that would potentially force the league into action and force uh, Robert Sarver to sell? Potentially, yes, I do. However, do I expect the players to take that step? That would potentially crater the contract negotiations for their long-term labor negotiation. Mm. I can't see them being able to do a a CBA that is potentially going to take advantage of what could be a very lucrative new TV deal where everybody's going to get richer. I cannot see them risking that for Robert Sarver. You know, in a strange way, like I could see them saying, this bozo's not worth it. Is this something that maybe gets kicked down the line until a year from now when his suspension is supposed to end and the NBA has to maybe deal with this reckoning all over again, that to me is sort of what I'm paying attention to. But the ball is probably sitting in the hands of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Monty Williams, their coach, who has probably got one of the most respected voices in the NBA at this point. 
and enjoys an incredible amount of capital in not only in the NBA, but especially in Phoenix. What they say and what they do will probably determine the next steps that happen. And I'm sure that's one of the things that they're considering very heavily in these days right now. And so, Brian, at the very end here, what does this say to you about the balance of power in the NBA? Or is this a story that's less about you learning something and the rest of us actually seeing with greater clarity something that you kind of already knew this whole time? I think the NBA is reflecting kind of where we are as a society. And where we are kind of as society is should someone who is not a good person be allowed to keep what they have? And if the answer is no, who gets to decide who's not the good person? We are kind of at that reckoning in the United States right now. I think we could all agree that 10 or 15 years ago, under the same circumstances, the reaction would be a lot different. Mm. And so this is a touchstone for where we are. Brian Winhorst, thank you for walking us through the fear and the loathing at the highest levels of the NBA. Thank you, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>